You're listening to the Gambling Gauchos, part of the Stake in the Plains content network and the Dave Campbell's Republic of Football podcast feed. Just a couple of casino caballeros talking Texas Tech, betting on the Big 12 and beyond. Now, here's Kyle Jacobson and Rob Bro live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. Welcome to the Gambling Gauchos. I'm Rob Bro. He's Kyle Jacobson live from the Cardinal Sports Center studio. If you need to gear up for anything sports related, you can do it at Cardinals. You can also get some new Cardinals Gauchos merch, some quarter zips, uh, some potential polos in the works. And more, you can do it at Cardinals, live and in person, right outside the loop, or online, mycardinalsports.com. Kyle, how you doing, man? Pretty good. All things considered, huh? Yeah. Uh, A 38-30 loss to uh, Oregon. I wanted to say 31, but uh, you went point chasing early and didn't. Didn't get the points. Um, let's just start at the beginning here because I thought it was a decent start to the game. You get a stop, a punt, you score a touchdown. It's seven to nothing. What are you feeling in that moment, Kyle? Pretty good. I was glad that we got off to a good start. Um, you know that wasn't really the issue against Wyoming, but you know, last thing you want in a hyped up game like that is to come out flat, and you have done that kind of in the past year or so. Um, like I remember Texas scoring in three plays in the Jones. And then of course the Baylor game with the Mahomes induction ceremony came out flat and basically stayed flat most of the game. So that was good that they were, you know, they weren't, I don't know, in like the wrong state of mind due to all the hype around the Oregon game or something like that. And so, um, yeah, they scored pretty quick there and no complaints. Uh, and then you give up a touchdown, what, three plays later on the bomb? Two. Two plays later on the bomb. Uh, at that point, I'm feeling a little dangerous. The game didn't. The game did not go how I thought it would go after that touchdown. I thought we were about to get boat raced. Yeah, I, I remember saying that in the preview that Bo Nix will make you pay if you leave guys open like that. And he, he kind of actually missed a guy on their first drive and did not miss him on the second drive, 72-yard, 73-yard touchdown. And I I thought the same as you. I was like, okay, here we go, shootout time. That was the only pass Bo Nix completed that was more than 15 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. And if you remember against Wyoming, zero completions, 15 yards or more beyond the line of scrimmage. And so I, I thought the same thing, like, okay, they're going to go vertical all night. They're going to test us. And they tried a couple other times, but it was incomplete. And, you know, they, they found a way to win. I think you mostly held them at bay just for how good their offense is. I think 31 points over the course of 11 or 12 possessions is pretty good. And really, besides that one screw-up, you avoided the big play. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm the same as you. When it was 7-7, how it unfolded after that is not really what I was expecting in the moment. Uh, immediately after that touchdown, you go three and out with no handoffs. I know that's a point of contention for you, Kyle. Uh, they score on a pretty good drive after that and then go for two to make it 15-7. to seven. Um, 
the three and out really hurt, but it didn't hurt as much as the next couple of turnovers that were real turnovers in key spots. Yeah, but before we get there, how in the world do you – That three and out with the the no runs was a tough look after they just scored on a quick drive. Yeah, like you're in the middle of – it feels like the first round of a heavyweight fight and both guys are swinging and they score a 72-yard touchdown and you come back with just a total dud of a possession and – you know, we, we talk about the offensive line a lot, both pass pro and can they get a push in the run game. And we talked about after the Wyoming game that it looked okay because Wyoming was only bringing three. Well, they brought three and just went right up the middle and caused, um, you know, Shuck to have to throw it away, basically. No handoffs. I hate that. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, Taj finished with six carries. So, I mean, you you weren't going to hand it off that drive or any other drives, but it is frustrating when you don't even try and then you don't move the ball. Um, the next the next defensive possession was frustrating because an area where I thought you could exploit Oregon was their um, proclivity to commit penalties. Sure, and they did it a lot. They did it twice on that drive, I think, maybe three times. No, you had your one and only sack of the game on Oregon's next possession and they had two penalties in the red zone. And so it's third and goal from the 12 and you allow them to score on a shallow cross. And so they, they had multiple plays there on that drive that usually can be drive killers and you weren't able to take advantage of that. And so that was frustrating that they scored. And then I don't know how you give up the two point conversion. Like, you know, Oregon's going to do the swinging gate. You should be preparing for that all week. Like for all the hand wringing about the, two-point try after you score, and I guess we'll get there. The fact that you were down 15-7 to seven should have never happened. Like, you shouldn't have been in a point where you had, where you had to decide, are we going to go for two here, chase the points, or are we going to kick the extra point? And you had 12 men on the field. Like, you weren't even lined up properly. You had an extra defender, and you still didn't have it covered. It's absolutely inexcusable to me. Uh, you mentioned it, the 15-play, 75-yard touchdown drive that puts you within two. Uh, what I thought was maybe the best drive of the game for Texas Tech, 15 plays, 75 yards, more than five minutes off the clock. Uh, but you did get helped quite a bit by Oregon penalties. Well, that's what you get for throwing the ball down the field. You make them defend you. and. You quit doing that when you got up 17-0 against Wyoming for some reason, unless it was an end-of-half scenario. And this is kind of what we've been asking for on the offensive side of the ball. Like, I mean, I guess we've been asking for a lot on the offensive side of the ball. But that was one of them. It was like, hey, you've got a six-foot-nine tight end. He's a mismatch problem for literally anybody. And you throw it to him, you get a 15-yard penalty. Like, I, I consider that 15 yards of offense. I love that. I think you wound up with three PIs. So, yeah, you can say, like, well, you got helped out a little bit, but that's a byproduct of throwing the ball down the field. You're not going to get P.I. throwing bubble screens. So, good on Kitley for taking shots throughout the game. And that's one version of how that can work. Like, it can work with a completed pass. Any P.I., like, let's get three of those a game. I, I am totally fine with that. Yeah, and I think Shuck throws a good P.I. ball. Yeah. Same, same thought against Wyoming. Like, 
Jaden York wasn't open on his touchdown. Loke Fungi isn't open on a 20-yard back shoulder. But you give your guys a shot one-on-one, and, like, unless you throw a terrible ball, the worst that can happen is probably an incompletion. Best that can happen is you gain 20, 25 yards, and then in the middle there somewhere is they commit PI on you. And, like, the Vikings used to do that with Randy Moss all the time. They're like, we're going to bomb it to you, and even if it's not complete, like, we're just going to force the defender to not commit PI. And a lot of times against a good receiver like that, they have no choice. It's either, like, kind of give up a touchdown or a really long pass or commit pass interference. And so I love taking shots. I consider pass interference a great result. And you're only going to get that by really testing them vertically. So I was happy to see that we were doing that. Yeah, that drive ends on a touchdown to Mason Tharp uh, on a play-action pass. Do more of that. A, do more play-action. B, throw it to the tight end. It works. He had a touchdown call back on the first drive. He gets this touchdown. The dude's 5'10", Gardner. He's 6'9". Throw it to him. And I'll say on the play action, how can you do multiple play action passes before your first handoff of the game? It works, though. But not because of the play action. Well, it froze the linebacker. I don't I don't know if I buy that at all. Like It froze the defensive end on the rewatch today. Run the ball first and then yeah. do play. Like, it looks kind of silly to me when nobody in the stadium thinks you're going to run the ball and you're – and like, sure, they were productive pass plays, but I was like, I was kind of rolling my eyes at that. I was like, we'll pretend like we're going to run the ball, but we're not actually going to run the ball. Also run the damn ball. Throw to the tight end, run the ball. They did run the ball with Shuck, but I think we'll get to that point. Yeah. Uh, and then the analytical decision to try to match the two-point conversion. What do you think of analytics as an answer? I think that... I'm I'm in the minority, I can tell, based on fan reaction online. And I think the problem is kind of the word analytics. Because a lot of people just perceive that as the coach calling something goofy. That's analytics. Replace the word analytics with, like, probability-based decision-making. And then tell me that we don't want to use analytics or that it's stupid, like, I don't know the math on this. I'm just making these numbers up. But, like, you tell me what you would do in this scenario. If you have all the data in front of you that says the earlier you go for two in the game, the more likely you are to win. And so, like, in that spot down 15 to 13, if you go for two, you have a 45% chance of winning the game. If you kick the extra point, you have a 40% chance of winning the game. What are you going to do? You would do the better chance to win the game. That's exactly what we did. Yeah. And we executed poorly. And then in hindsight, everybody goes, oh, analytics, that was stupid. It's it's the same as – I'm not trying to Kyle-splain this. I don't know. I'm sure some of our listeners know the game of blackjack very well. Some don't. Blackjack, the objective is, of the game is to have cards that amount to as close to 21 as possible without going over. The worst hand you can have is 16 against the dealer having seven or better. Because in all likelihood, most of the cards in the game of blackjack are valued at 10. A 10, Jack, Queen, King are all 10. So it's likely that you have 16 against 17. That means you lose to the dealer's hand if you stay. It also means if you take another card, you're pretty likely to bust. But the mathematically correct answer is to hit every time 16 against a 7 or higher. You'll bust a lot doing it. 
but you will win more. If you play that hand a thousand times, you will win more by hitting on 16 than staying. The math proves that. And so I get why it's a bad look and it's poorly perceived by fans when it doesn't work. And then later in the game, they're like, well, if we had taken the point there instead of doing this, the reality is they have, they have data that they pay for. They pay a consulting firm that provides them a spreadsheet of here's when you should punt it. Here's when you should pass. Here's when you should run, you know, on fourth down or for a two point conversion, whatever the case may be. And they looked at that and said, we have a better chance of winning this game if we go for two here. And so I, if someone can show me the math that proves that wrong, fine. But I, I don't really want to engage in like a philosophical debate about quote chasing points. Show me the math because I know they have the math and their math told them you have a higher chance of winning the game if you go for two here. So unless somebody can put up the math, I don't really care to hear about strategy. It's it, To me, it's like an amateur blackjack player going, well, of course you're going to bust by hitting on 16. And they don't really know what they're talking about. And so – yeah, just because it doesn't work out in hindsight doesn't mean it was the wrong call. Just like you can stay on 16 in blackjack and win the hand, that doesn't mean it was the mathematically correct call. So all that to say, all that to say, I have no problem going for two there if they have data that says that's the better choice. I'm with you on the two-point conversion. I'm going to push back in a minute on the fourth okay. down call. Uh, all right. Then you force a punt three and out after pinning them deep. You punt back, they punt. Then you get into a position where you are on their side of the field. Tyler Shuck runs seven plays. He's got ESPN. I hate the automatic. Hey, before we get too far down this, can I respond to a comment about the two-point conversion? Yes. Somebody says, what was the percentage of winning if they missed the two-point try? That's the whole deal. You don't know if you're going to make it or miss it. The call is only to attempt it. It's like saying that if I'm at 16, I'm going to tell the dealer, like, yeah, hit if you have a five, but otherwise I don't want the next card. You, you don't know. And and it's also on you to go execute a good play, like once you make the call, to go for it. And we're not good at going for two. We weren't good at it last year. We weren't good at it versus Wyoming. We weren't good at it against Oregon. So in my opinion, it's much more a matter of execution than, well, we made the wrong call there. Did you have you rewatched the game yet? I know you're driving. Yeah, yeah I rewatched it. Did you see the two point conversion play where Dre McCray gets absolutely bodied trying to go across the middle? I'm pretty sure he was the first option. I didn't catch that. So Dre McCray starts on the right side of the field. He's trying to drag across. I think he's going to be the first option across the line of scrimmage going to the other corner. But a linebacker just absolutely hammers him in the middle of the field pushes him back into the offensive line. So I think that ruined your uh, two-point play there. But within five yards, I think you can still have all the action you want down though. All right, that brings us to a couple of punts later. The fumble from Tyler Shuck. Um, the first turnover of the game for Texas Tech. And the question is, is Tyler Shuck pressing – because it's Oregon, or is this just Tyler Shuck? No, I, I don't buy into some macro-level narrative there. I think it's just bad situational football. We saw it against Wyoming. Like, first and 10 in the red zone, the very worst thing that should happen on the next down is second and 10 in the red zone. 
I get it. If, if it's third and 15 and you're trying to make a play or it's fourth and goal and you've got no other option, like the blocking is bad. You have no protection. Throw it in the dirt. You take an intentional grounding penalty, whatever. Throw it out of bounds. Last thing you need to do is turn the ball over. So it's just bad situational football. Like it's first and 10, live to play another down. And we're we're not very good at that, apparently. Uh, that leads to an Oregon field goal, which makes it 18 to 13. You get a field goal opportunity off to in the half, but miss it 18, 13. We said all off season, uh, talk to us at the halftime of the Oregon game to see how we feel about the season. That kind of went out the window when, when Wyoming won, but at halftime of the Oregon game, what were you feeling? I felt like, you know, I was glad – I felt like we belonged on the field and it was it was going to be a competitive game. I thought we'd be in it in the second half. And, um, you know, that we had squandered some opportunities there, a turnover in the red zone, a missed field goal. Um, You know, either a busted coverage or just a bad play on that 73-yard touchdown. I do think that on that play, not to circle way back to early in the game, I think Lux thought he had safety help because we were in man-free and, like, Rabbit is so far back on the play. He's not even in the frame when they line up and snap the ball on TV. So he forces him inside, I think, trying to funnel him to some safety help. And for whatever reason, maybe Rabbit's trying to cover a route on the other side of the field. There's no safety help, and we get torched on that. So I'm looking at him like, well, you know, we're down five, but, you know, we're losing the turnover battle one to zero. We've only sacked Knicks once. We get the ball first in the second half. We missed a field goal. Like, couple things go right for us and, you know, it's a tie ball game or maybe we have a, you know, a small lead. And so really I was, I was hoping and looking forward to see how they came out in the, on the first drive of the second half. Cause we deferred after winning the coin toss. And that was kind of where I felt like things really started going South against Wyoming was like, okay, you know, bad second quarter, but we get the ball first coming out of the half and like they go three and out against Wyoming you get a touchdown against Oregon and then it was like, okay, game on. Like this is at this point, it seems like it's destined to go down to the wire. So I was just glad that we responded well on the first drive of the second half. That was a huge improvement from week one. Um, so that was kind of where my mind was at at halftime and first drive after halftime was we have a ball game. Yeah, absolutely. Especially when you come out and score uh, out of half, that's what you're hoping for. Um that momentum would have looked a whole lot different if you don't score coming out of halftime. But in my opinion, I was thinking at halftime, hey, you here. let's go score. And you do in a five-play, 75-yard drive, um, another penalty. And then you have a 35-yard run from Taj Brooks. How do you have a 35-yard run and don't just go back to that well over and over here in the second half? unexplainable yeah I, I wish i could come up with something what are the analytics on that i have no idea <laughs> I, and, and that was the that was the gripe last year was like okay you lose to baylor really bad and there's all sorts of problems in the baylor game but you go back and look and it's like okay well sir roderick and taj combined had like five yards per carry yeah can they do it you know are we going to tote the rock 45 times a game probably not but it's like, okay, if they finish with eight carries or something, it's like, I mean, we couldn't have a little bit more balanced approach. We couldn't have found some success with the run to stay on the field, to set up play action, to set up a different look. 
So, yeah, Taj Gaston for 35. You get 15 yards targeting the tight end. Who's in a mismatch. Um, you get another pass interference, and it's like, okay, we're cooking. We're in the red zone. And you punch it in with quarterback run game, which I which I think was good. I just think it was like it wasn't balanced. The quarter the quarterback run game is absolutely something you should lean into with Shuck. I don't know why we didn't do it in regulation against Wyoming. Did it right out of the gates against Oregon, and it worked. But I don't want Shuck to have four times as many carries as not just the number one running back on the team, but like any other guy on the team. If we had some running back by committee and like three running backs are splitting carries and the quarterback wound up with the most carries, okay, maybe that's justifiable. But it was 23 to six. And like, oh, this also, I almost pulled my hair out in the stands. We motioned Xavier White, a slot receiver, into the backfield to hand him the ball before we handed Taj Brooks, our starting running back, the ball. After he got hurt. It's just like so – we're trying so hard to be creative or outmaneuver them. We can't do the most simple thing that the game of football is founded on. And, and we're good at it when we do try it. And the only reason why we don't have a larger sample size to test us with is because we refuse to hand the ball off. It's like, oh, yeah, well, it was only six carries for 66 yards. Well, yeah, I don't think he would average 11 with 25 carries. But I think if his first six carries go for 11 a pop – and we give him 20 carries, he'll still have a really good stat line and probably help us win the game. So that's why I'm just not understanding. Like, again, I'm all for using the quarterback run game, but a four-to-one imbalance there, quarterback to running back carries, is just totally outlandish to me. And handing the ball off to a slot receiver before you hand it off to a running back and giving Xavier White 33% of the number of carries that you gave Taj Brooks, is just it's inexplicable to me. It really is. That's a good word for it, inexplicable. Uh, all right, moving on in the game. Oregon uh, then punts, and you block the punt here. Um, they said on the broadcast it was Sparkman. I think it was York. They finally decided, one of the two. Um, and then you just throw it right to the defense. This is the this is the worst throw of Tyler Shuck's Texas Tech career. It was late and it was behind the receiver so bad. Just straight to the defense. It was the worst throw of his career. I might argue with you on that because they're because there are yeah. worse. He has three pick sixes in his last, I think, 256 pass attempts. Yeah. more than That's more than 1%, which doesn't sound like a lot. Like, how many pick sixes were there in college football and how many, I don't even know, tens of thousands of pass attempts were there? Uh, one More than 1% of your passes going the other way for six is dreadful. And that one wasn't a pick six. It was just an interception. So I might push back on that's his worst throw, but the fact that we have to like argue that and go, well, you know, it's it's probably among his top five, but there are three pick sixes. It's like right. kind of part of the problem is, and I'll say this, like I, I'll defend Shuck a little bit here. He was great running the ball. Um, He had some good passes that were dropped by his receivers. That's not on him. That's not on Kitley. Like you could show me his 10 best plays from last night and go, yeah, this kid's pretty good. 
But his five worst plays are plays that absolutely flipped the game. Like we're doing a 180 here. We're turning the ball over in the red zone. We block a punt after a three and out and we give it right back. It's a pick six. Like his, and, and that was kind of Donovan's flaws. Like you see Donovan, he can throw that 20 yard out and it's beautiful, like NFL arm. But then he has three interceptions versus Houston, one of them the other way. Same against NC State, interception going the other way for six. It's like we can't survive these plays. He can he can have 30 good plays in a row. If play number 31 is a pick six, like it's almost all undone. And, and, that, and that's what frustrates me about Chuck is like he could be a very efficient and productive quarterback. If some of those egregious plays were just kind of bad plays where, okay, we take a sack for eight yards, we throw the ball away and now it's second and ten. Instead of a fumble in the red zone or pick six the other way, like you can live with that. And every quarterback is going to have bad plays. It's just when you turn a bad play into a game-altering, game-deciding play for the other team that is kind of what has killed us recently, in my opinion. Now, the interception, as bad as it was, uh, targeting Duran Bradley doesn't turn into anything because you get a turnover on downs here on the next drive, but Good grief if that was not a just a brutal interception. And I, I started to get back into it, but uh, the defense holds. You score on the following drive, which is probably the the other great drive of the game. Uh, somebody tweeted, Kitley in his bag now. No, Chuck's just going downfield. Like, you see receivers running down the field the whole game, right? It, Kitley's not calling better plays on a drive like that. Shuck's just hitting his receivers or the defense is leaving guys open. Either way, you're pushing it downfield and you score on a pass to Duran Bradley. And good Shuck is back. Yeah, and like, I don't know. I almost wish we could have – that sound like a broken record. On the, on the first drive after the blocked punt, like I get – a lot of teams go for the kill shot on the sudden change of possession or, or change of momentum there. It, it's almost cliche at this point, though. It's like everyone expects it now. If you recover a fumble or something, it's like, oh, they're going downfield here. I would have loved to have taken the opposite approach and just, like, bleed some clock. Like, Okay, let's see if Taj can average 11 yards per carry on more than three carries, you know, at that point in the game or whatever he was at. Um. And I think like there's something to be said for building momentum or maintaining momentum slowly. Like you don't have to score on the first play. Imagine just running for five, running for five, running for five, running for, and like the whole stadium feels that you're getting closer and closer, taking a couple minutes off the clock and then you punch it in. And so I, I think this, this idea of going for the kill shot right after turnover has been like overly romanticized. And now it's everybody does it all the time. And it, forced us into a really bad throw there and all the momentum from the three and out the blocked pun is just gone in a moment. But then, yeah, you get, you get the ball right back. You do the double pass, which is something that they clearly, I'm sure is a trick play. They practiced all week, thought they could exploit something and it, it wasn't really open, but Dre McRae makes a great play downfield. Yeah. Add, add him to the list, like him, Tharp, Fungi, Bradley, all guys that just make plays one-on-one when given the chance. And then you go tempo, have them on their heels. Bradley's wide open, great pass from Chuck, and you scored. That's like the quick strike offense as it's designed. You know, two plays, tempo, 
and they don't really have an answer for it. And so can't really gripe there when you score seven points in two plays. Um, you just apparently don't do that consistently enough on other drives. Did you like the light show? I think it was, you know, well produced. Yeah. You'd rather win. Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. Uh, all right. So you score in uh, three plays, 83 yards. Oh, three play drive. I thought it was only two. Three play. Uh, Tyler Shuck passed to Dram Bradley, Dram McCray down the field, and then back to Dram Bradley, 34 yards for a touchdown. Okay, cool. Uh, and then Oregon has a 17 play, 75 yard touchdown drive where they pretty much did whatever they wanted down the field. Uh, a couple of third downs, but mostly first and seconds all the way down the field. 17 plays. Four third down conversions. On the one drive? Yep. So there you go. And I'm not going to – I can't harp on the defense too much because I think that ended a streak where Oregon had five possessions where all they got was a field goal. It was like two, three and outs, stopped them on fourth down, a field goal, and maybe a – oh, yeah, yeah, the blocked punt. Um, oh, that was one of the three and outs. But anyway, I think they have five possessions, uh, possessions four through eight from Oregon, where they scored three points. And that's that's almost half the game. Like, I think Oregon had 11 offensive possessions by the end of it. And a stretch in the middle there, five of those possessions, you give up three points. That's winning football. And that's where the offense had a chance to really kind of blow the doors open. And instead, you know, they're throwing an interception on play one of a drive or whatever. So I, you know, I, I can I can nitpick the defensive performance. Um, you know, the pass rush still wasn't getting home. They lost contain on Knicks for two of those third down conversions. He ran for it just like Peasley did in the Wyoming game. Didn't force any turnovers all night, but like at the end of the day, thirty-one points to that Oregon offense because I'm not putting the pick six on them. Thirty-one points in eleven possessions against that Oregon offense is pretty good. Like. They scored 40-plus eight times last year, I think. And they scored 31-plus, I think, 10 times last year in, in 13 games. So very few teams are holding them under 31. And clearly it was it was enough to win the game. You just didn't execute enough offensively. So I, I could nitpick the defensive performance. There were still some bad angles, some bad tackling at times. Uh, Rashad Williams' 15-yard penalty was really untimely. But overall, I I think had you told me before the game, like, hey, we're going to give up 31 points in 11 possessions. We'll hold them to three points for a segment of five drives in the middle of the game. And the offense will have the ball down one with a minute left and a timeout. I would have said, yeah, like I'll, I'll roll the dice with that for sure. Yeah, and I think both of us picked – uh, 38, 35, 34, 31 scores and keeping Oregon at 31 felt like an opportunity to win. Now, Absolutely. you had the pick six at the end as well. They gave it 30, what, 38, but offensively, they only scored 31 points. And they didn't score in the third quarter. You won, you won the third quarter 14 to nothing. And you still kind of felt at the end of the third quarter – that anything could happen up to. Yeah. 
Um, their running backs averaged three yards per carry. The, the best running the ball that they did was when the pocket collapsed and Knicks just made a play. And it felt like it was the same against Wyoming. Like that that's your biggest weakness defending the run. Defending the pass, again, you've allowed one pass all season to be completed 15 yards or more beyond the line of scrimmage. But the underneath stuff, like they just go to the flats, you take a bad angle, they break a tackle, turns into a 20-yard gain. Like those have been killer. Or third and goal from the 12, they run shallow cross. He catches it two yards downfield and scores. So I think that you you have a lot to build on defensively. Like you are good at some things. I think you have some obvious weaknesses. Like like I think the angle taking and making tackles can improve throughout the season. I think at this point, the edge rushers are just kind of, they are what they are. I don't think we're primed to, you know, I guess the quote that we'll go back to is when Joey said that the unit as a whole would be better even without Tyree Wilson. It's not going to happen. No. It so it, yeah, it doesn't appear. I would, I would be shocked at this point if it turns out that way 10 games from now. But I think you can do enough defensively. Like you say, okay, we're not going to get beat with a big play. They can't really utilize traditional run games. So how do we how do we kind of stop the bleeding on the rest of it? How do we stop the intermediate short passing game? How do we contain the quarterback? How do we spot the quarterback? I think that's like if you can clean that up, I think you'll be I think you're already in a pretty good spot defensively because I'm looking at other Big 12 offenses and asking like how many of them are just like slam dunk definitely better than Oregon's offense. Probably none of them. There might be some that are on par. Um, but it's like, okay, yeah, if we can hold even the best offenses in the Big 12 to 31, we're going to be in a lot of games. And so I, I do think the defense can improve. Everyone can always improve. But that's not the side of the ball where I'm looking at and going like, okay, that's going to cost us some games. I, I think you have more to work on offensively. All right, so let's get into the other analytical conversation of the evening. Uh, right after a 17-play drive, you go three and out and decide to go for it on fourth down in your own side of the field at your own 30. They've scored, as you said, one time in the last five drives. One of them was a field goal opportunity uh, six drives ago, and then you had the touchdown of the previous drive. 17 plays. 17 plays. Let's look at that whole drive here. Uh, Tyler Shuck pass complete. Tyler Shuck run for no gain. Tyler Shuck pass complete. Four yards a pop. And then Tyler Shuck run for no gain at your own 33. Punt the ball. Punt the ball. You have an All-American punter. That's part of your team. Punt the ball from your own 33. I I can't imagine the analytics here up to where going for it is a better call than punting the ball and making them score again. I can't imagine it. And I don't think I can be convinced otherwise. Punt the ball. It's interesting that the only context surrounding that decision that gets thrown out is like all the, well, you're on your own 33-yard line or whatever. But we just kind of glossed over the fact that the defense was just on the field for 17 plays three plays ago. Yeah. So there's also that. Like, it's not really a good spot to go three and out at all and oh, give the ball right back. Yeah. And maybe this is a robotic answer. Again, I know I'm in the minority, especially in hindsight. They have a spreadsheet in front of them that says, if you punt it, your probability of winning is 
I'm making this up, 50%. If you run the ball, your probability of winning is 52%. If you throw the ball, your probability of winning is 48% or whatever. So they look at that and they go, well, let's go with the one with the highest odds of winning the game. We line it up and we don't execute. My Again, my problem is not the call to go for it on fourth down. And I want to remind people before I get into that specific play, because I saw this sentiment a lot, like, oh, quote, analytics is just a cop out when things go wrong. It's it's just a buzzword you use when you make a stupid call. That's not what they're doing. And we used the exact same spreadsheets last year. When we went for it on all these fourth downs, we led the nation in fourth down attempts. National football writers wrote articles about how far ahead we were in terms of gaining an edge on fourth down compared to other teams. You won games because of it. What would the narrative have been if we went for it on all those fourth downs against Texas last year, didn't execute, Texas stopped us, and we lost the game? It would be, oh, analytics is so stupid. Why are we doing analytics? Analytics got us into these stupid fourth down calls. Well, we but, don't have to make it up NC State, the NC State game. Do what? The same conversation happened after the NC State game. Sure, but I'm, I'm using a positive example from last year. Sure. Instead, we execute on fourth down against Texas. And what's the narrative? Oh, my God, we beat Texas. This is so great. Let's storm the field. This is awesome. I love that we're playing with aggressiveness and not playing to lose or playing not to lose. Everybody loved it. And, like, that's the only reason you got to eight total wins last year is because you were aggressive on fourth down in some of those spots. And then you line up on fourth and two. You bring 10 of your 11 players in tight. Everybody in the stadium knows quarterback power is coming. They stuff it. I'm not willing to blame the analytics there because the math is correct. Like, you're supposed to go for it there. Now, you don't make the math work in your favor when you have a bad play call that is easily telegraphed and you don't execute it well and Oregon just blows it up. Again, I'm not – I'm shouting from the cheap seats here. I'm not paid hundreds of thousands of dollars to make a better fourth and two call. I know that it, it's clear we don't believe we can hand the ball off when we need two or three yards. But, like, you have – your tight end was in a mismatch all game, and the best they could do was get flagged for pass interference. It was either that or a complete pass every time he went to Tharp. Or Cup. Cup got a target, and it was also complete. You have Miles Price. He's super quick. I think he can get open if you isolate him in the flats for two or three yards. So I don't blame the call there. I really don't. And everyone in hindsight can say, oh, I shouldn't have hit there on 16 because I busted. Mathematically, it's the right call. And you just didn't execute well. Think about what a totally different game it is there. Whether we call that same play and execute it and we get three yards or we call a different play and we get three yards and we stay on the field, even if it's just for three more plays and then we punt it, or if you manage to get into the red zone in the field goal range, nobody would be second-guessing that call. Like, that's the exact same spot. It's the exact same spreadsheet telling you to go for it as last year when it worked well for you. You just got your ass kicked on that play. Like, to me, that's – and I'll also say this. Like, I, I don't want to make it sound like I'm dying on this hill. I think punting is also a good call in that spot. It's part of the game. Uh, yeah, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth. Like I watch I watch poker videos on YouTube, and there's this one YouTuber who analyzes like high stakes poker hands, and he gets grilled all the time because he's like, Yeah, you know, I'm okay with a fold here. I'm also okay with a check. I'm also okay with a raise. I'm also okay with going all in. But like I kind of see it that way. Yeah. On fourth, on fourth and two, if you think you can convert and the data tells you that you have a higher win probability by going for it, I'm okay with it in a vacuum. I'm not okay with that specific play call. 
I also see what you're saying though, and what everybody else is saying. Like you have an all American punter, make them earn it. Um, you kind of, if you don't convert, they're basically in field goal range. So I do see both sides. I don't think either one is just this atrocious game losing call. And, and that's, I guess my last point on this is everybody wants to zero in on the word analytics and one fourth and two play. You lost a turnover battle four to zero. You gave up a 73 yard touchdown pass. Yeah. Like, if, if we're going to – and fans like to do that. We all do. We like to glom on to like, well, what's the one – who's the one person we can blame? What's the one play we can look back at? And it's an easy target because it looks stupid to go for it on fourth down on your own 33. But, again, unless somebody can show me the numbers that proves that's the wrong call, and I don't mean some smart-ass answer like, well, look how it turned out for us. Clearly it was the wrong call because that's the same as playing one hand of blackjack when you've got 16 and saying that you've, like, figured out the game of blackjack. Show me the data that says you have a higher win probability by punting it there, by playing that simulation a thousand times and I'll reconsider. But I'm okay with either call there. I don't think it lost you the game. I, I think there's a million other things I could point to before I would say it was the fourth and two call that like really cost you the game. Certainly don't think it cost you the game, but I would have liked to have seen the the alternate version where you punted. You still might lose. It's fair. You still might lose. But I would have liked to have seen the the punt version there. Uh, and I'm not saying to not go for it at the 45 or the 50 or in their territory. Every time you pass the 50, go for it on fourth down. I don't care. But from the 33, I would have punted. It, it's it's baked into the equation, though. I know. That, that's on the spreadsheet. It's like if you're on your own 28, if you're on your own 46. I get it. I, I think a lot of fans don't, though. Like, the math tells you there is a scenario where you're supposed to go for it on your own 33. Yeah. By the way, the Dallas Cowboys up 26 to zero over the New York Giants. That reminded me of something else, but I think I lost it. Sorry. Um, Our Cowboys. Yeah. Maybe it'll come back to me, but I, I hate the word analytics. I, I would like to use the word math or like win probability Something that like where you plug in the word analytics and fans who hate, who try to dunk on it, go like, well, we shouldn't use this strategy where in maximizing our win probability is like, we shouldn't do that. It's like, well, think of how stupid it sounds when you reframe it like that. Yeah. And, and oh, here's, here's what I was going to say is the whole point of going all in on what the data tells you. And like, I saw takes like this, that football isn't played on a computer. I get that. Like, believe me. I think there's about five or 10% room for individualized judgment calls based on momentum, based on kind of where you're at in the game. But if you're, if you're just kind of like glancing at the spreadsheet and going, well, like I know it says to punt here, but I feel like going for it. You're not really using analytics. Like you're just going with your gut. And why are you paying a firm if you're just going to go with your gut? Um, so like, that, that's kind of the deal. You'd have to go all in with it. Otherwise, you're not really using it at all. You're just kind of going with your gut, which is not – that doesn't give you any sort of mathematical edge over other teams um, like you experienced last year, in my opinion. So why are you paying the coach if he's just going with the firm? Well, a coach's job extends far beyond just individual play calls within a game. Gotcha. And you're hiring a coach to either utilize analytics or throw it out the window. Sure. Recruiting and all that. I get it. I, 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 all I'm saying is like 
if you're going to use the spreadsheet that tells you when it's mathematically correct to go for it versus punt it, then use it. If you go, well, I would use it, but we're on our own 33 and yada, yada, then like you're not really using it. Yeah. What are the chances Morton gets to start this year based on Shuck's performance? Uh, he says 80% the, the question asker. Zero uh, percent. I don't think Shuck gets benched. Really? Due to performance? No, I think I think they'll stay with him. Let's let's talk through that. I don't know what my answer is off the top of my head, but before we get there, Saturday wasn't all bad because you and I got to go out to Reno Barbecue before the game. My first time at the new brick and mortar restaurant. Fantastic stuff. I've missed it, man. Ever since I moved to Fort Worth, it's like Anytime I'm back in the area, I need to get out there. And we did. It was delicious. Give them a follow on social at Rahino BBQ. Check them out, RahinoBBQ.com. You can order ahead. The market is open seven days a week. Brick and mortar open four days a week? Five days uh, a week. Five. Five, five, five days a week. Yeah. Um, I had the jalapeno cheddar sausage with Mexican rice and some brisket. Uh, I think you got like a three-meat plate, so you sample oh, yeah. a little bit of everything. Yeah, I did. It's good stuff. So it uh, the football game didn't go how I wanted it to, but I at least had a delicious lunch on Saturday. Shout out to Rahino Barbecue. Um, so as I was saying, fans like to – and I'm including myself in that. I'm, I'm a fan like anyone else. Like I feel like at the end of the game, it's either coaching, the starting quarterback, or like maybe a wild card. But like you're basically choosing from three options of who to – pin the blame on right and fair or not like shuck is going to get a lot of that criticism he is certainly getting it on the heels of the oregon game and i think a lot of fans would would rather see morton but i kind of agree with you i don't think that what i would like to see happen and what i would do if i was the decision maker is different from what i think will happen i think like they'll ride shuck even if it's six and six and it's kind of ugly and it's not always pretty. They'll just stick with him. Yeah. I mean, I, I think so. Unless it's like, Oh, and four, like if he loses in Morgantown, if you lose to Tarleton, like, okay, you're probably going with Morton, but I can't say 0%, but I, I would say less than 15% that they make a change. I just, I don't see it. Yeah. I would say maybe like, 20 or 25%. So I'm, I'm a little bit higher than you, but not by much. Um, having said that, again, like if, if I'm in the chair, the FCS game right before Big 12 play, if you're going to make a switch, is the time to do it. Because I think that was part of why we didn't see Morton for so long last year. It was like, well, we don't want his first start to be on the road here or in a conference game there. This is like a – a clean break to do it. If you, if you're going to do it, um, give them 60 minutes to shake the rust off before we go on the road to Morgantown and start big 12 play. Um, I don't think that's going to happen though. And I I've been a Morton fan since 2021 when he was a true freshman, I was on the Rob Brokaw's tailgate show when it was clear that the Henry Columbia stuff wasn't going to work. I was like, you know what? Just go with the, youngest guy on the roster that you think is going to be your quarterback of the future. Let him take his lumps, get some experience. 
Um, same last year. Like you kind of did the carousel because all three guys got dinged up a little bit and played up and down a little bit. Chuck wins the job by finishing out the season four and zero, playing pretty well in that stretch. Um, but yeah, like my, my litmus test at this point is that I think the argument for Shuck was that like he was he was the higher floor option. And that with him running the show, with his experience, his age, like the decision making would be better. We'll turn the ball over less. He doesn't have the arm talent that Morton has, but like we're gonna ride with him. And his running ability. I do think that's an important factor. But once he turns the ball over four times in one game, I'm like, can you really convince me that the floor is that much lower with Morton? I I know the ceiling is higher. And I know it because in the first game Morton started of his collegiate career, he's making throws that we haven't seen Tyler Shuck make in five or six years as a college quarterback. So I know the ceiling is higher with Morton. I used to think that the floor was higher with Shuck. And now I'm not really even convinced of that. Um, I, I do like the, the quarterback run game element that Shuck brings. I don't think there's a world where you would ever try to run the ball 23 times with Morton. So I get all that. And again, I'll say like, I'm not pinning this all on Shuck. He had some really good throws. He had some good runs. There were some drops that were like perfectly fine passes that, and PIs that if the drops and PIs hadn't happened, he might've thrown for 450 yards last night. Who knows? But also again, like his three worst plays probably cost you the game. Yeah. And I think if anybody is out there for three plays that wind up costing you the game, you have to take an honest look and say, is it worth considering a change at this position? If a linebacker on three straight drives misses touchdown saving tackles, you're probably taking them out. Yeah. If a DB gets burnt three times in a game, you're probably taking them out. Offensive line and quarterback – are the only two positions where the guy probably stays in. Monroe Mills stayed in the game. He had a bunch of penalties. And then you had Tyler Shuck stay in the game after his turnovers. And some of that argument is like, well, we don't have anybody else to put out there. We don't have depth at that position. That doesn't really work when you have a four-star blue-chip quarterback that, like, we've seen start and win Big 12 games before. There's a comment here. Do you remember how bad Morton choked in the Baylor game? I remember all three quarterbacks throwing interceptions in that game. Yeah, Shuck threw a pick six in that game. And says, Tyler has never crumbled like that. Well, what was Saturday night? Four turnovers, one of them a pick six, one of them a fumble in the red zone, one of them a turnover on the first play after a blocked punt when you're pretty much in field goal range already. If that's not crumbling, like, what is exactly? Yeah. And, and again, I'm not – I'm really not interested at 0-2. I'm not really interested in having the argument of who has the higher or lower floor. Like you're, you're nobody thought you're going to start zero and two, and I think you have to sort of like adjust expectations at this point. Yeah. So if you think Shuck is a better quarterback, like I'll put this challenge out to anybody: show me the, show me the throw or two that Shuck made that were better than like Morton's five best throws against Oklahoma State. Because that thread has been published. That's on Twitter. I can show you some throws that Morton has made that I've never seen Shuck capable of making. And if somebody wants to show me the, the throws Shuck can make that Morton can't make, then I would love to see it. And how else is a young quarterback that is inexperienced and maybe turnover prone or whatever? How is he ever going to work past that if you don't give him some game experience? That's my thought. Like, like you're just starting over next year if you don't give him any run this year. Yeah, and, and the first five games next year will be Morton like feeling it out, 
taking yeah. his lumps, learning. It's like, well, why don't we just do that now against an FCS team and then three very winnable Big 12 games? Bingo. I agree. Why don't, why don't we just, like, send Morton off on senior night in 2025, never let him take a snap just to make sure he doesn't turn the ball over? And apparently there's noise about, like, he turns it over in practice. Okay, well, Shuck turned it over four times in a game. So I'm willing to roll the dice. Me too. Uh, let's finish the drive chart. You trade field goals to make it uh, – they took the lead 28-27. You retake it 30-28. They retake it 31-30. Uh, that is a six-play drive for Oregon, a 12-play drive for Texas Tech, and a 10-play drive for Oregon. Then you have a minute left, and we've already talked about it, but you throw the pick six. Boom. Game over. I just wanted to finish that real quick. Again, situational football. Like, there's a freeze-frame moment in that play on the pick six where you know, okay, this isn't going to be a good play. We might take the sack here, have to burn the timeout. He might try to throw it away and get flagged for intentional ground. Like, those are bad plays. We wound up with the worst play possible. And that's where, like, sometimes zero yards in comparison to what you're going to get otherwise is a is a fine outcome. And that's the last thing I'll say on Shuck's performance is, like, the bad moments are all in big moments. When you put the ball in the quarterback's hands 60 times a game like we do, okay, yeah, they're going to make mistakes. They're not going to play perfect. I totally get that. But it's pick six when you're down by one and you've got a chance to win the game. Like you you can play for last possession, all that good stuff. Turnovers in the red zone. Turnovers right after a blocked punt. Like all the worst moments are in all the biggest moments. And that's the part that I think is so detrimental about it. All right. Um, any closing thoughts on the game, and then we'll try to move on? Yeah, I'm still triggered at part of the Morton conversation going on because yeah. we're comp- we're comparing his first few starts as a redshirt freshman up against Tyler Shuck as like a fifth year senior. Like that's an apples to apples. Like that's the whole point. Is your fifth year senior who's started a bunch of games should be ahead of the redshirt freshman. And that's what Morton was last year, a redshirt freshman. So we're like, well, like he looked bad in his third career start. Okay, well, like we're seeing back-breaking mistakes being made. And, you know, Shucks played more years of football than Morton has played games. And we're seeing the same types of mistakes. So just go with the higher upside. And we can cherry-pick single games. Okay, cherry-pick Baylor. How about TCU? We were moving the ball down the field just fine. We had 10 points with Morton and a – Quarter, quarter and a half. Should have had 14, and we got hosed. Um, they gave us three downs instead of four in the red zone. And then, like, Shuck goes in. We lob one jump ball to Sparkman that's complete. Besides that, we don't move the ball again all game. So if we're going to cherry pick one game, okay, like, cherry pick Morton's performance against Baylor. And then I'll show you four turnovers against Oregon. And then I'll also show you – the first half before he was injured against Oklahoma state with Morton and like, show me, show me anything comparable on, on Shuck's tape. That's all I'm saying is like, let's have a whole 
360 degree conversation on it and not just like, oh, well, remember that one time this quarterback did something good or bad? Like that's not not a very honest conversation about the whole quarterback ordeal. Agree. Okay, that's all. Final thoughts on the game itself? Yeah, I don't want it to be all negative. Um, and I don't I don't feel like I have been. I, I think I took up for Shuck a lot. I like the quarterback run game. I don't have a problem with the fourth down and two-point conversion decision-making. I think Brendan Jordan, a true freshman playing at star, was really good. Um, and it was like right out of the gates, he looked comfortable. Like I think it was Oregon's first possession. Maybe the – yeah, yeah, it had to be their first possession. He's covering the tight end. They run like a motion, try to give him some eye candy. He doesn't get confused. He plays a tight end that's like a – reception for one yard or no gain. Like he looked really good to me and he's in a tough spot there, but I think the future is bright with him. Ben Roberts filling in at inside linebacker, not just for the injured Jacob Rodriguez, apparently Tyreek Matthews got dinged up in walkthroughs or, or warmups or something. They said that on the broadcast. Again, I could nitpick and say, well, he didn't play a perfect game. That's football, but Ben Roberts for a red shirt freshman, I think looked really good being asked to fill in at inside linebacker. Um, who are some other guys? Tharp, we've been calling for that. Like, he's a mismatch on everybody. If you're going to put him on the field, use him. We did. It worked really well. Taj looks really good in blitz pickup, pass protection. I think that's probably – I hate to be this pointed about it. He wasn't in the game to tote the rock, unfortunately. But I think that's why – I don't think Valdez played a snap. I think it was because Taj is that much better in pass pro. Um. So, yeah, there, there were some good performances to go around. Like, after a loss, we're going to kind of analyze how things went wrong rather than highlight some of the good things. But I saw some individual performances I thought were were promising. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not deterred at all in terms of, like, program trajectory and is Joey the right guy. I can't believe there's even, like, noise about that. I saw this one guy for the first time ever. I had not ever seen his Twitter profile. And last night he was like, yeah, I knew as soon as we made the McGuire hire, I was skeptical. I was like, shut up, dude. That was 21 months ago, 22 months ago. Yeah. Everything's hunky-dory, right? Like the first recruiting class is good. First season we beat Texas, we beat OU, we win a bowl game, winning conference record for the first time in, since 2009, another good recruiting class. And then it's like, well, we lose Oregon. It's like, well, you know, I had my doubts. And the the comparisons to Wells, to, I'm like – Give me the top two things that happened during the Wells era. Yeah. Okay, we beat Oklahoma State. Like, I'm struggling to come up with number two there. I do think there are some Spike Dykes comparisons that could be more accurate, but Spike was here for nearly 10 years. He's here for 13 years. 13. And so I'm like, I'm trying to sit here and see what these people are saying on the Wells comparisons, and I'm like, I'm trying to reminisce on the time that Wells beat Texas or OU or reached a bowl game or won a bowl game or had a winning record in conference play. And all I can come up with is like losses to Kansas, giving Houston Baptist and SFA all they can handle, 78th ranked recruiting class. I'm like, what are we talking about here? That's just the dumbest. And I don't usually just like try to call people out or say like it, it seriously is just like a an ill-informed, dumb take. You lost to Wyoming. Losses happen. You lost to Oregon because Oregon's better than you, and you gave up the ball four times and didn't get any turnovers. 
Yeah, you were a touchdown underdog. And, like, we're spoiled winning a bunch of games as underdogs last year. And, like, the one-score game conversation is probably going to come up. And I, I guess I can, like, see that some of that is just, like, regression. Like, maybe you were a little bit lucky last year. You certainly were against Texas. Like, I've always referenced that. You had a 2% win probability according to the box score against Texas last year. Um, but yeah, again, like a lot of those one score games, you were playing as an underdog and pulled off the upset successfully. And like, you didn't quite do it against Oregon, but you were still the underdog in that game by a full touchdown. Uh, I think it went a hair under that by kickoff. The Wyoming loss, like that's bad. I'll, I'm not going to try to defend that at all, but, um, the Wells comparisons, I just like, I don't see it at all. I think it's a legitimately dumb take. Yes. Like Wells was kicking field goals on second down. Yeah, and, and y'all are mad that we're using an actual spreadsheet that outlines the math both ways. Like, I'm sorry, we're just we're leaps and bounds better than overall where we were as a program at that point. And I've given Wells his credit on certain things. Great in the portal, like Tyree Wilson was a hit. Kashawn Merriweather was a hit. Josiah Pierre, like Muddy Waters. Yes. Um. So anyway, like I don't want to beat that horse to death, but I. It's, it's just crazy to me. Like, you lose to the number 13 team in the country by eight points when you were a six-and-a-half-point underdog. Some of the takes that start flying. Yeah. So, all that to say, I'm not deterred at all. I love Joey McGuire. I think we're going in the right direction. And I – yeah, dude, Twitter is just a wild place after a loss. Sorry, I was watching the Cowboys. Uh, all right, you want to hit the mailbag and then get into some more stuff at the end of the show? Sure. Let's do it. Because I know there's a lot of stuff about the game in the mailbag. Yeah, this is the Matador Transit mailbag. The Matador Transit mailbag. You've got mail. Mail time. Mail time. Mail time. The mail's here. Found these in my mailbag. Well, it's time to reach into the old mailbag here. Enjoy reading the fan mail. Don't read it all at once. Any mail for me? You don't have a tic tac, do you? Did I get any mail? No. Why not, honey? I want to start off some with from the uh, comment section. Can you guys help me understand what's going on with Linton? It seems like he's disappeared. Uh, we were sold a hype train on Linton and Cole. Cole had one good game last year, really good game against Ole Miss. Uh, but Linton, Linton has been doing what his career said he was. He was. He is what he was. Um, he came in. I still think he can do some damage, but like I think we were sold a lot more than what he has been able to produce. Yeah, I I agree with you there. Like you take a guy that. I don't even think it was like a full-time starter at Syracuse. And he gets here and like all of a sudden we've got NFL draft beat writers talking about how he's like a third or fourth round type talent. And and I said at the time, I was like, I, I trust everything this coaching staff says until they give me reason not to. I even said it when they, when Joey said that like, forget his exact quote, but he said something like, believe me, I would take Tyree Wilson back, but I think we might actually be even better as a unit this yeah. year. And I was like, I said on the podcast, I was like, you know what? That sounds crazy to me. I'm skeptical, but I'm going to believe it until – because Joey has earned so much credibility and trust with me that, like, 
I'll just believe whatever he says until I have reason not to. I think the hype around the edge rushers specifically and how that's sort of fallen flat is like the first one where I go, okay, they weren't right about that yeah. prediction or so assessment. Far. So far, like it could change. Sure. Um, so yeah. And like, I think that's a fair way to approach it is Joey's hitting on all cylinders after year one. Yeah. I'll believe it. And then seems like the edge rushers were overhyped this year. And so now it's like, okay, well, the credibility takes a little bit of a hit. I'm not out on Joey at all, but it's like, okay, next time he tells me that our third string running back is a dark horse Heisman candidate, I might be like, well, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. Why is he not the first string running back? Yeah. Uh, if you could put some input in designing the very first Mahomes Adidas football uniforms, what would they look like? Texas Tech in 1995. Yeah. It's easy. You can't screw it up if you go classic. Even if they have silver pants, I'm fine with that. Just look like they did. Simple, big old Texas Tech across the chest. It's fine. Maybe you mix and match concepts, but literally show me what we wore in the 90s, and we're probably 85% of the way there on a perfect uniform design. Thoughts on the all-black Kansas uniforms? Oh, I didn't put out the uh, uniform rankings. I'll have to do that tomorrow. I was – I don't like it. No. Wear blue. You know, you have good school colors. If you're not – if black in the school color, don't wear it. Yeah. How much torture could you endure before you disclose your bowel movements to a message board with your real face as your profile picture? Yeah, I saw that. We – uh or Texas Tech, not we, Texas Tech wound up on message board geniuses. I'm yeah. a pretty private guy. I I don't share anything about that type of thing publicly. So I forget how you framed the question, but I, I'm a I'm a private person. It was how much torture could you endure before giving up bowel movement? Probably not much because I'm I'm a wimp. I don't think I would do well under torture. <laughs> Uh, start bench cut some of the new local restaurants in Lubbock, their names. So we're start bench cutting names. Okay. Neighborhood F and B the fresh American Johnny Fabs Cadillac grill. What was the middle one? The fresh American. Okay. The neighborhood F and B sounds like, do you watch the league? I have. Do you know what the EBDBBNB is? I don't remember that. The, I didn't get through it very far. It's the Eskimo Brothers Database Bed and Breakfast, the EBDBBNB. That is kind of what that – that sounds like a like a neighborhood meetup for, yeah. you know, casual encounters or whatever they call it on Craigslist. Um, so I'm a little bit creeped out by that one. The middle one, what was it, American Fresh or something? The Fresh American. That sounds like a robot made it up. I'll bench it and then I'll start the Johnny Cadillac. Yeah, Cadillac Grill. Johnny Fab's Cadillac Grill. Yeah, that's easily the best one. I'm going to start all of them because uh, Lubbock has some great restaurants and I can't wait to try them. Because every business in Lubbock is a potential sponsor. Yes, and you're calling them casually. (laughs) The neighborhood F&B, like, come on. It's food and beverage, not anything else. Okay, Uh, make, make that a little more clear, perhaps. Neighborhood food and beverage. All right. 
not other F words. All right. Uh, now that we've lost to Oregon, what are the next steps for Texas Tech football on a macro level? Keep recruiting. Keep what? Keep plugging away. Keep plugging away. Keep recruiting what? Keep recruiting well. Uh, I still believe that was like your biggest detriment over the last decade when you haven't been very good. Now, the problem is like all the guys McGuire's recruited are true freshmen or redshirt freshmen right now for the most part. Keep recruiting, Will. Stock the talent. I think we've recruited very well-rounded classes like at every position group. And when your conference games, like those are the ones that ultimately matter. Unless you're a playoff team, what you do in the non-con doesn't really matter so much. Like we're focused on conference standings, conference rivals. I'm not trying to sell anybody some sunshine here and go, oh, well, if you wind up, you know, seven and five, we should all be. But if you're six and three in Big 12 play, like you haven't been that good in Big 12 play since I think 2008. So I would take it. Certainly take it. Um, so, yeah, I think win your conference games, keep recruiting, um, adjust as necessary. Like if we're, if we're committed to a certain offensive philosophy or defensive philosophy that isn't working, let's find a different wrinkle and, and try a different approach. I, I don't think we're anywhere near like hitting some sort of panic button or like, well, where do we go from here? I just it's two tough losses. One of them is a bad loss, but I, I'm just not there in terms of like, well, what do we do now? Like, stay the course. You have a really good head coach at the helm. He's assembled a really good staff. If staffers leave for one reason or another, like Emmett Jones did, he'll find other good assistants. Like, um, macro level, I think, was the question. I think we're we're in really good shape. I've, I've not lost any hope there. In honor of the blue light, start bench process cut light types, blue fluorescent neon LED. I don't know. That was a good time at the blue light, though. Appreciate everybody who came out. Um, Mason and the Gen Line were great. Aiden Logson was great. Always cool to meet new listeners and people that have been your friends on the internet for like three or four years. Finally see them in person for the first time. Um, hopefully, hopefully we'll get an opportunity to do something like that again later this season. Uh, let's see. Do fans need to prepare for Kansas? Yeah, dude, Kansas, 24-point favorites on the road this week. And it's it's Nevada, but when have they ever been a 24-point favorite on the road? Ever? Probably never, honestly. Yeah. So, yeah, they're good. Um, touched on this a little bit in Gauchos After Dark. That's, I think, pinned on our Twitter. I think UCF maybe not as good as they looked week one. Maybe they just struggle with Boise. Who knows? But, yeah, Kansas, like, I'm not going to say they're going to be a contender for the Big 12 title, but they're going to be a tough out for a lot of teams. I think they're going to win. I think they'll win more conference games than they lose. Uh, all right. So, this comes at the end of the game. Um, which is worse, Pac-12 refs or Big 12 refs? Both. They're both bad. That was an interception, right, Malik Dunlap? Yeah. Yes, it was. It was an interception. The ball moved after he rolled, but he went down and it didn't move, and then he rolled and it moved. He had two feet down. The first time I saw the replay, I saw the ball move, and I was like, they're going to get him on that. And, like, I was expecting them to uphold incomplete pass. But then when I did the rewatch today at my house on TV, like, 
his fingers are curled under the ball yes. as it moves. I don't think he ever lost possession or control. No. So I, I didn't get that look in the stadium. And I, at the time, I was like, yeah, they probably got it right. Like, that sucks, and it's a close call. I think it was one of those that they were just going to go with whatever they called on the field. And I thought they called an interception at first. And then when they went to the microphone, they said, yeah, the ruling on the field is incomplete pass. And I felt at that point they weren't going to go all, go so far as to overturn it. But had they called INT on the field, I think they would have upheld it. All right, there's about 14 questions I'm combining into one here. Uh, why didn't we run the ball more? I've got nothing. Rob, you know I always have an opinion on anything. I could talk for hours. I, I'm at a loss. I have no idea. I don't. I don't get it either. And you, you, you ran the ball 29 times. It's just 23 of them were with the quarterback. Yeah. And half of those were him running for his life when the pass protection broke down. Yeah. I'm all for let's design six or eight runs for Shuck. Let's let him scramble five times. He should finish with 12 or 14 carries because he's a good runner. He should not finish with four times as many carries as Tosh Brooks especially when Taj Brooks is averaging 11 yards per carry and his worst carry of the day was like four yards. Like if that's the worst output you get when you run the ball that you can do some serious damage. But Taj's six carries, they were like four, five, five, 17, 35. And he probably had another four or five in there for the sixth carry. But it's like, what are we doing? There's no downside. Like it's not going to be a negative play. I don't get it. I don't get it. I just don't. Uh, has being podcast host changed how you criticize teams? I was a radio host for six years before I started the podcast, so not really. Yeah, I don't know. I think I've never been just like a doom and gloom, like, oh, this guy sucks. We lost because of this guy. So I don't think so. I mean, I think it does. I guess because everything you say is kind of on the record. You you try to come up with a more tame opinion and like try not to overanalyze too much in the moment. And so that's what everybody does like right when the clock hits zeros is like the pitchforks and torches come out. And that's why I like to do the rewatch and go, okay, like, yeah. I feel like we're picking on Chuck this episode, but like, okay, yeah, Chuck had some bad plays. He also had some really good plays. And so I think it maybe makes you a little bit more balanced or even keeled if you if you decide to approach it that way. Yeah. Uh, based on the game yesterday, are we scared of anyone but Texas? Kansas State struggled yesterday as well. Is there a path to the Big 12 championship? First off, I don't know if Kansas State struggled. They covered against a good group of five team. So I, I reject the premise of the question. But no, no, you're not scared of anybody. How can you be? How can you play the game of football scared of losing? Hey, Amen. I'm not like scared is, of anybody. Is Texas better than you? Yeah, probably. And you have to go play him in Austin. You're going to be a 14-point dog or whatever, whenever that gets here. But no, you're not scared of anybody. Is there a path to Arlington? I don't know. You have to win all your home games. And if you lose more than just the game in Austin, you probably need some help. You need to like win some tiebreaker or for there to be a lot of 
seven and two, six and three teams. The good news is the non-conference doesn't matter in that conversation. So just win nope. your conference games and you can make. Is Texas Tech going to struggle with Tarleton? If we do, it won't be because we're bad. It'll be because we're like not focused and kind of playing sluggish. It's it, like it's a letdown game coming off Oregon. It's also a look ahead to conference play. So I could see us just not being sharp, but I I don't think we're a bad team that's like on their talent level, if that makes sense. Uh, why does Kinley call plays from the sideline? Wouldn't it benefit him to see things from the press box? He's talked about that before. Not necessarily. You have OCs that do it both ways. If there was a decided advantage to doing it one way or the other, they would all do it the same way. And he's got his other – he's got position coaches, analysts with eyes in the sky looking at it from a different angle. Um, I will say I, I wish his approach – you remember Donovan Smith's first couple starts? Sonny Cumbie would call him over in between every play. And not only would he, like, not signal the play, he would just tell Donovan what the play is. But I'm sure they talked through stuff like, here's the play call. And remember, if you get a blitz look, we're doing this. If you get a cover two look, we're doing that, whatever. Kidley's like on the opposite end of that spectrum. It's like, I'm going to signal in the play, and then you can call whatever you want if if you get a certain look. I would like some middle ground. Like, yeah. maybe you can check out of whatever you want on first and second down, but on third down you have to look at me first. Or we're going to go tempo most of the time, but every now and then I'm going to call you over for a quick little chat since we've got 40 seconds to use in between plays. So that's really my only thought on how he kind of calls plays and manages the games. I don't think it really matters if he's up in the press box or down on the field. I would like for one game to just don't check out of anything. Just run the play and just see what happens. Or a quarter or two, a half. Let's just see what that looks like. Yeah. Because then I can have a better understanding of what Kitley is calling and what Kitley wants to do. Because right now, I honestly have no idea because Tyler Shuck can change every play and I don't know what he's changing. Another comment was that Shuck is running for his life a lot of the game. That's true. And, again, I want to be balanced and, and fair. He did have a really good throw on the run to Bradley that helped set up the field goal attempt before half. You ultimately, of course, weren't able to convert. But, again, like, Shuck made some good plays with his arm and with his legs. And I'm not – I don't think I've ever tried to pin the loss all on one guy. Um, I think people dig in when they when they have an opinion on who the starting quarterback should be. They just dig in and they're like – well, Shuck can't be blamed for any of this or, you know, Shuck is always bad all the time. Like, neither one of those things are true. Right. One other sentiment is, like, uh, I tweeted a couple of Joey's quotes from the postgame press conference, and he said things like, you know, we're, we're beating ourselves. And Tech fans would reply to that, and they go, we're beating ourselves or he's beating us with, a, with his play. I'm like, who do you think he's referring to when he says we? Like he's talking about the team, his team. Yeah. The coaches, the players are all part of that team. Like that is him taking shared responsibility for the loss. Like if if McGuire in the postgame press conference is like, we lost because of that one player on our team, Joe Smith. Like that's a call out. That's not what he's doing when he says we're beating ourselves. Like that's him taking responsibility individually for the rest of his staff. And for the players, like they all have their fair share in the in the blame and in the success and triumph. 
So I, I just don't get like the combative kind of tone from fans and stuff like that, as if Joey's trying to like pass off blame. Right. He said it after the Wyoming game too. He's like, I see all the criticism on social media. He's like, trust me, I get it. And like, I think the same way. He's not delusional. Like, yeah, there's no issues to fix and coaching has no part of it. Like, trust me, he gets all of that. So I don't, I don't get why our fans just come out with the pitchforks and torches there. Like, just crazy to me. Uh, final question. This is from the comment section, not the mailbag, but uh, thoughts on the Bryles OU situation. What a bizarre scene. Now Levy is doubling down with this profile picture change. He changes um, Instagram picture to a picture of him and the family. Uh, first of all, I didn't think it should have been a blow up. I understand Art Bryles is there, but it's way after the game. He's down there with his family. Um, I think if anything, Venables made it a bigger situation than it should have been by answering the question the way he did. It's being handled. Uh, should Art Bryles be on the field? No, but he is the guy's father-in-law. Like, I, I understand the sentiment there. Well, first off, it's just an unforced error. Like, yeah, why associate with Art Bryles at all? It's like, if we can talk about the reaction on Instagram or Venables and the press conference, like why allow him to associate with your program in the first place? Cause you know, there's going to be PR stuff that happens as a result of that. I think some people either don't know what happened at Baylor or like have amnesia. Cause you and I were in a group text about that. And I was like, I mean, yeah, he, he was the head of a program that, it was determined after like multiple investigations, they covered up rape and sexual assault. Yeah. And he was like, Oh really? Um, like who's serving time? Because then I was like, this is the player's name. This is the prison where he's incarcerated for the next 20 years from his conviction. Like, did you really not know that that happened at Baylor or did we just forget because it was almost a decade ago now? I think there's just some like as time goes by, people are like, oh, like, well, is what our brows did really that bad, or should he really be seen as this toxic? And it's like, yeah, you shouldn't put him in OU gear and have him on the field and like post pictures with him. It's, there's no reason for your program to associate with our brows. None. No benefit to be had from that. I mean, why can't he just come to the game in a black shirt? Like he doesn't need to be all decked out in OU gear. Yeah, and the, the other thing this guy was telling us is like, well, if like if Art Bryles can't coach, why can Jeff Levy? And I'm like, well, Jeff Levy was like an offensive analyst. He wasn't the CEO of the program guilty of doing all the things Baylor did. I do agree that that, uh, that reporter, if he really does want to get into it, go to TCU and ask Kendall Bryles the same thing. I'm for that. Uh, anytime Kendall Bryles has been floated as – I don't know if anybody remembers this, but there was like a 24-hour window right before Joey was hired that Kendall had like emerged as a leading candidate. I was like, screw that. So I'm like, I know I'm not a hypocrite on this. This guy was like, well, why can Kendall coach? I was like, well, he wouldn't coach at any athletic department I was in charge of, and neither would Art or probably Jeff Lebby for that matter. But I also think there's levels to it. Like if you're the CEO responsible for an organization or a team, that's different than being an offensive analyst or tight ends coach, whatever Jeff Levy was while all that was going on. So there, there's like degrees of responsibility there. But yeah, I'm not hiring Art or Kendall 
like no matter what. But that's me, and clearly TCU and OU think differently. Are you want to look ahead at some uh, Big 12 lines? Yeah, I whiffed on Kansas. I thought they were going to be like an eight-and-a-half-point favorite, and they're 24, I think I said, or 28, whatever they are. Crazy. It's not good. I think I saw TCU. Houston was like five in favor of the Frogs. Interesting game. I feel like both programs really feel like they need that win. West Virginia, I think, is only getting two or three against Pitt in the backyard brawl, so that should be a good game. Uh, what other ones did I see? Man, Cincinnati, what a game. They just handled them. Are they back? Did they ever leave? I do think yeah, if they if they go bowling this year, you have to give Satterfield a lot of credit for all he replenished in the portal. Oh yeah. And for just making the transition to the power five. Like I didn't think they'd be in that position, but a two and start, including a road win over Pitt, has me thinking they can definitely get to six wins, maybe seven. Who knows? Maybe they'll beat OU. Sign me up. All right. You got anything else? Let's see if I have any final thoughts that we didn't cover. Badee, badee, badee. Otherwise, it's uh, real final thoughts done. Go watch the fourth quarter of this ass whipping over here. Sorry, butt whipping. Family show. Oh, I guess one more tidbit. I put this on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash gambling gouges. I have like basically a drive by drive kind of analysis of the rewatch um i know this is like a big if but if you take away the 72 yard touchdown pass from bo nix we hold him to about 6.7 yards per pass attempt he averaged 8.8 last year and again you hold their running backs to three yards per carry they scored 40 plus eight times last year i I know we can nitpick, and there is room for improvement on defense, but I, I just want to give those guys a shout-out because I think that all things considered, that was a stout enough defensive performance to have a shot to win the game, and he did have a shot to win the game and just couldn't quite take advantage. And I guess one more on special teams. Hated that Gino Garcia missed the 56-yarder. Another kind of rushed one at the end of the half. He, he had plenty of time. It wasn't like Wyoming where there was one second, but a little bit rushed, 56 yards out. I hope he gets a chance to, like, make a couple of normal field goals because I think four of his seven attempts have been from 49 yards or further out. Yeah. Two of them were as the clock is winding down in the half. One of them he doinked from 50 yards. And it feels like every kick he's been sent out there to make, maybe except the first one against Wyoming, it's like, okay, the game is in the balance. Go make one from 52. I would love to just trot him out there from 35 with the clock stopped and the game not be hanging in the balance. Like, he needs a couple of those to get back on track. I don't think he's a bad kicker. Yeah, agreed. So I hope he can get back on track. All right, final thoughts? No, that's all I've got. Well, me too, coach. Will Dana get fired at Houston? Eventually. (laughs) Eventually. That's a good answer. Lost to Rice. Brutal loss, by the way. 
They stink. Houston does. This isn't going to be comfort to anybody, but you're 0-2. And if you played 2-0 Oklahoma State on a neutral field tomorrow, I think you'd be favored by, like, almost a touchdown. Yeah. Which is only to say sometimes decent teams start 0-2 and bad teams start 2-0. and And that's not like a call-out. They just don't look that good to me and, like – Oklahoma State. Oh, yeah. They're eight-point favorites against South Alabama next week. I don't think anybody – none of the money people are buying into Oklahoma State. I can't they believe still have, I know. I know. But anyway, I guess that's all I have for this episode. All right. All right. All right. Love you all.